Hey church, Pastor Kyle here. Before we dive into our message today, I just want to stop and say thank you. Thank you so much for the support you have shown to this church and the work that God is doing here through your financial gifts over this last year. Because of your giving, we were able to finish 2020 in the black and be able to position ourselves well to do ministry for the rest of this year. And while we don't have all the numbers compiled quite yet, we look forward to announcing them to you through the newsletter. And as well, uh, in a few weeks' time here, you'll get an update about when our AFM will occur in the next couple months. So make sure you check out the newsletter. But I'm just really excited because when I see the faithfulness of God happen because of his people, I know that God is planning more. And while we know from 2020 that we don't always know what to expect in the future, we can rely on God because he was so faithful last year. I think there's just this beautiful picture of when we allow God to use us to give our our time, our talent, our resources, such as our finances, and as those things come together, God does something beautiful. He works in such a way that it leads people to have transformed lives. And so we know 2021 is a whole other year for us together as a church to lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus. We don't know for sure what to expect, but we know that he is already ahead of us. We know that there's going to be sorrows over this next year, just like there were last year. But we also know there's going to be great joys. We know there's going to be struggles, but we also know that God wants to lead us to spiritual breakthroughs. So we're praying, we're, we're asking God to reveal his plan for us, to, to show us a way forward, and we know that we're going to continue to see him work because of how he worked last year. And so if we could, before we dive into the message, I just want to take a moment to, to pray and thank God for his provision, to ask God to reveal his plans to us together as a church, and to thank God for you and who you are as part of our church, because I believe that God wants to bring about more of his kingdom through you, whether it's at your home, in your workplace, or through the connections that you have with people in our community. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your provision. God, I thank you for how you provided through your people. Lord, we we know that what we earn is because of you anyways. And so as we give from that, Lord, we we just thank you for your generosity to us. And God, I thank you uh, for the spirit of generosity within the people you have brought to Emmanuel to give towards uh, the work that you are doing. And Lord God, we thank you that last year we were able to see Uh, two people come to Christ, that we were able to see seven people be baptized, that we were able to see more people take next steps. And God, we look forward to more of that in this next year. And God, we we invite you to just continue to to reveal to us what your plan for us is as a church, Lord God, as we continue to search for how we can continue to adapt and move through the ever-changing landscape that is our world right now, that you would continue to to point us in directions where, Holy Spirit, you are already at work and that we would be able to join in with you. And God, I just thank you that as our church family gives, uh, not just financially, but of, of their time and their talents, that you will work in the midst of that to, to see what you are going to accomplish. And Lord, I thank you for our church family, and I just thank you for every individual who you have brought to be a part of this family, to build up your church. And God, as we serve together, would we be uh, blessed by one another this year? And Lord God, would you get all the glory because of that? And so as we move forward, Lord God, that's what we, we hope for this year. Would it be a great year that as we lead people to be passionate followers of you, that you would get a huge amount of glory, that you would reveal yourself 
greater still in, in our community and in our surrounding communities. And God, would we see such a great change of the hearts and minds of people in this city turning towards you. And God, would you just enjoy all of what you are accomplishing in and through the people here at Emmanuel. So Lord God, we give over even now this time to you. And Lord, I ask that you would use uh, the words that, we, that I share here as I, I read through your scripture, as I share some reflections, Lord God, would you use that to speak to each one of us? Holy Spirit, would you prompt us in the way that we should go so that as we lean into this next year that we would be well, well positioned in our hearts and our minds to be willing to chase after where you are calling us. So Lord God, we thank you for this all. We thank you for your love, for your grace, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice, and we pray it in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's dive into God's Word this morning. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 17 today. There we're going to find a familiar story for many of us who are from the church. It's the Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. And here today we're going to look at, in part, the baptism. But I also want us to focus in, in this scripture on the character of of God. What are some of his attributes? What's he like? How does he work and interact with his people? What's really neat is all through scripture we know, of course, that we worship a triune God, that there is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's not as many places in scripture where we see th all three so clearly depicted. But here in these five verses, we see so clearly all three persons of our triune God. And so I want us to look at that and, and ask questions about, okay, if we're on this road of following Jesus, of trying to be more like him, what can we learn from the character of God and how he works and embrace that as we live out our lives together? And so let's immerse ourselves in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 to 17. There we read, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's a river in a region, to, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? To which Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So here we are. We're actually in the midst of sort of the account of Jesus' baptism. Last week we looked at the, a bit of a setup where we got to, to meet John the Baptist and, and interact with him and the message that he came to, to bring. And what John was doing is he was leading this revival in the land of Israel. He was coming around and, and teaching people, hey, we need to turn back to God. We need to worship him and serve him. And, and we need to go away from these other ways that we have been going. And as a part of that, what he said is, you need to be baptized. And what he was doing is inviting people to take part in a public display 
of, of what the inward reality was happening. He says, you're getting baptized to represent the death to yourself, to, to life with God. And, and that's what baptism is all about. And so John's calling people to, to be a part of this. And he's doing this every day, day in and day out. And there's tons of people who are coming and, and they're hearing John's message that God is going to send his Messiah, the chosen one, to establish his kingdom. He's going to provide a way for his people in the wilderness to to encounter him and live in his kingdom and and so he's going day in and day out doing that and then one day Jesus comes and Jesus is he's John's cousin and he shows up and he says hey John I need you to baptize me and John goes no no who am I to to baptize you you should be baptizing me and and this is a little bit of a head scratcher or should be for us to be like why is John doing this I mean in the earlier verses we just read about how John's going to anyone and everyone, even the most prominent of religious leaders, saying, you need to turn to God and follow him. But here he says to Jesus, no, I'm not going to do that. You should actually be baptizing me. And what's interesting is John and Jesus has, have this interesting relationship. We don't know a lot uh, or that much about their upbringing, but we see some snapshots in the book of Luke. And of course, here we see a little bit more. John and Jesus are related. We, we know through the Christmas story that there was Mary and, and her cousin Elizabeth who both become pregnant at the same time. And in this one encounter between them, the Holy Spirit comes on John's mom Elizabeth and him in the womb. And he jumps and he recognizes Jesus who's in the womb of Mary. And it's this incredible moment where we see that there's some type of recognition that God has given to John to, to recognize who Jesus was. And John was sent with a a special message to prepare the way for the Messiah. And here comes Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, has come. And we don't know fully, the text doesn't tell us everything, if John's already acknowledged Jesus as Messiah at this moment or before or after. But what we know is that he recognizes Jesus as more important than him. He recognizes Jesus as a better spiritual man than him. And so he says, no, no, I'm not the one who's supposed to be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And he pushes against Jesus until Jesus says in verse 15, no, 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 John, you got to stop. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, John, you want what God wants. You want to have people do and respond to God in the way that they ought to. And what God has planned is for you to baptize me. And so they go out and they get in the water and there's this baptism. But this is again another one of those head-scratching moments. I mean, John has been calling people to be baptized out of a sign of their repentance. That they've confessed from their sin and they have turned back towards God. But here's Jesus, the Messiah, fully God, fully man, someone who has never sinned. So why is he getting baptized? If he has nothing to repent of, what's going on here? I think that's a a helpful thought for us to consider. What is Jesus really doing here? And what I've come to, to figure out is that what Jesus wants to do is identify with what God is already doing. And he wants to identify with those who are turning to God. Theologian R.T. France wrote this. He wrote, Jesus intended to identify himself with John's message 
and with the revival movement it had created to enroll as a member of the purified and prepared people for God. It is this rather than forgiveness. So Jesus wants to identify with his people. He wants to be where his people are and participating in what God is doing. And so he's not getting baptized out of a need to repent or to confess, but to be with those people he had come to save. I love this picture of Jesus because Jesus continually is just a servant who meets people where they are, who cares for them. I mean, ultimately, we read about how Jesus comes to take on our sin and that's really the ultimate moment where he identifies with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we read, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't it incredible that God would choose to identify with us, to want to be with us, I think that's one of the reasons we're so passionate about baptism. I mean, if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, you've got to hear the message from this text. God came down to earth. Jesus came to identify with us. And so he was baptized to be one of us. And now on this side of his history, in that moment, we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus where we're called to identify with him and those who have come before us. We have this opportunity to say, yeah, I'm turning towards God. Yeah, I'm following Jesus. And so I am going to publicly display that inward reality by being baptized. As Christians, we're just followers of Jesus. And so we've got to follow him here. Clearly, Jesus thinks this is important. He says, this is what's right in God's eyes, and so I'm going to do it. So why would we be any different? If you haven't yet been baptized, you've got to do it. This isn't something where we can just say, eh, it's not that important. It was clearly important to Jesus, so it should be important to us. I mean, right behind these pallets behind me is a baptismal tank. We will make it available any day, seven days a week. We want to see people taking that next step in following Jesus. Maybe you say, but I don't want to get baptized inside. Well, let me know because I will put on my wetsuit. I'll meet you at the vetter. We'll go to Cultus Lake and we'll do baptism. This is an opportunity for us to celebrate what God has done in your life and to celebrate that you now identify with Jesus. And in that moment, back in history, Jesus identified with you. What a wonderful opportunity for us to join and celebrate what God is doing. All right, so we have this moment, and, and Jesus gets baptized, and he comes up out of the water, and then something incredible happens. In verse 16 and 17, we read this. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he, that's Jesus, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we have this really interesting moment, right? All of a sudden, after Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, and there we see all three persons of the God we worship. We have Jesus the Son. We have the voice of the Heavenly Father, and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
So what can we learn from that, these three all in, in their character, their attributes, their relationship to one another? How can that lead us to think about what we should do as a next step in following God? Well, the first thing I see right here is that Jesus is just that. He's an obedient son to God the Father. Jesus recognizes this is the plan that God has set before me, and this is where God the Father wants to call me, and so I'm going to take steps of humbling myself, of identifying with sinners. I'm going to go and be baptized by somebody who really should be worshiping me, but I know that I have come to be a servant. And I think this idea of obedience is an important one for us to consider. I think a lot of our worship has come around things that we find to be, uh, you know, they make us feel good or we like to do them, so we do this. But when we hear that word obedience, I think sometimes we kind of get our back up against the wall. For a lot of people, the idea, even the word obedience has a negative connotation. We think about, you know, punishment, like do this or else. You will obey me or this consequence will happen. And we, we, we get that negative connotation because we want flexibility. We want freedom. We want to be able to do things our way. But I think that's the wrong way to look at obedience in every situation. Here, within Scripture, Jesus didn't obey God because there was a consequence. Jesus obeyed himself, the Godhead, the God, the Father. He obeyed that path that was set before him out of an expression of love. Jesus said, no, I love people. I love myself. I love God the Father. I love the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, I will live out obediently to the commands that I am given. As a parent, you know that there is nothing better than when your children obey you without you asking them. A couple days ago, as we've been on this Christmas break, I, I had this great moment with my girls. I mean, we had been going through the first couple of days of the Christmas break with stuff just all over the house. I mean, the girls would bounce from one activity to the next activity to the next activity, and there would just be a wake of chaos. There'd be Play-Doh over here, Lego over here, Playmobile over here, a craft over here, something else going on over there. And we'd constantly come alongside them and say, hey girls, you got to clean up that one thing before you move on to the next. And the girls would ask why we would do that. And of course, we'd tell them, well, this is a way that we show respect to the other people in the house. This is the way we make spaces for them to be comfortable in and be able to enjoy without having to clean up after us. But with this one day, I'm, I'm coming down the stairs and I'm ready to tell the girls. I mean, they've been playing by themselves for maybe an hour, hour and a half, and I come down and I'm ready. I'm like, there's going to be 20 messes, and I'm going to have to tell them, okay, go clean all those messes before you continue on with what you're playing with. And as I walk into the living room, there's nothing. It's just the girls playing with one thing. And all of a sudden, I was just so happy. I mean, I was just filled. I was, I was thrilled by what our girls had done. I, I was so pleased. And I run over and I, I hug them and I give them kisses and I praise them. And I'm like, girls, this is wonderful. And I mean, there's just that thing that rushes a parent where you go, yeah. My kids have got it. They're starting to, to respect and understand. And, you know, they haven't been perfect since, but I can celebrate where they've learned. You know, if you offer a parent a million bucks, are their kids growing and learning in this way every single day? The parent's going to take their kid learning because we want to see our kids adapt to who they should be to become the people who love and respect others. And so that's something to be celebrated. 
When we think of how Jesus loved as an exp- or was obedient as an expression of love, it should cause us to consider, well, how can I then be obedient to what God is calling me to? Where are the places that I might need to conform or shape or direct my life as an act of saying, hey, God, I trust you, I love you, I want to honor you, I want to worship you. For some of us, the starting point is repentance. It's doing that 180, turning our lives around. We've been living in a way that's all for ourselves, and we've ignored what God wants for us. Well, in those moments, what we have to do is we have to turn around and go back towards God. We, we ask for forgiveness, and we walk towards him. The second thing we might want to do is that baptism piece. We say, hey, I need to be baptized. I haven't yet followed in the footsteps of Jesus, so I'm going to do that. But maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a place where God is calling you to to live obediently, to do something for the very first time. Maybe there's a place where you know there's a sin pattern that you kind of got to put to death. Maybe there's a person you need to talk to about your faith, and God's calling you to step out in courage to follow him and sharing with them. What is that place where you need to be obedient So we have an obedient son who goes and is baptized, but then we have the ushering in of the presence of God the Father as a loving father. In verse 16 to 17, we see that God opens up the heavens and speaks down upon Jesus. And he speaks to the crowd, I believe as we read this, uh, that, that other people would hear this expression of love. You know, a lot of people have this view of God where We see him as this distant figure. We sort of have this negative connotation of what we think he might be like. We say he's kind of impersonal. He's kind of off in the distance. I don't know really what he does. But when we read scripture, we see, man, God is present. He is active. He wants to show his love. You know, when God is distant, it's not because he's far off. It's because our sin has driven a wedge between us and him. That started way back with Adam and Eve and committing the first sin there, but through every single person who's ever lived outside of Jesus. But God doesn't want to be separated from us. It's why he sent Jesus. Here in this moment, I believe that's why he peels back heaven and reveals who Jesus is because he wants us to get an understanding of his love and the relationship he longs for from us. And I think this idea of God opening up heaven and speaking down is is such a beautiful picture because it really does articulate his love. There's two times in scripture where we're able to see God open up a place where he is separated from us. We have it here in the baptism of Jesus and then we see it three years later at the end of the gospel account where Jesus is crucified. When Jesus dies on the cross, we see that the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the rest of God's people is torn apart. The Holy of Holies was this place where God's presence would be tangibly present in the midst of the temple. And and this curtain would divide it from those who were unworthy to come before him. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, that curtain was torn apart. John Thomas, who's a, a pastor, or Thompson, who's a pastor in Ontario, writes it this way. He says, The beginning and conclusion of Jesus' ministry are bookends of a great tearing, a tearing that would change the fabric of human existence and allow messed up, alienated people like us to know God again in a face to face relationship. 
So we see God tears apart the separation between himself and the world, and then he speaks about Jesus. He says, this is my son whom I love. Imagine you're present. I mean, John's been baptizing all sorts of people, and people have come up out of the water, and then they've walked up onto the riverbank. But this time, as Jesus comes up, there's a voice. The audible voice of God says, this is my son. This is the one I have chosen. This is the one I have sent, and I, am, I love him, and I am pleased with him. What would your reaction be? I think everyone would be in shock. I think I'd be in shock, like, what is going on? And then my next reaction would be like, how do I get to know this guy? How do I get to find out more about him? This expression of the love of Jesus draws people in to wonder who he is, to get to know him more, and ultimately get to come into relationship with God the Father. This is something that God wants us to exhibit. Jesus talks about this later on. Actually, Jesus prays about this. In John chapter 17, particularly in verses 20 to 25, we, we see this window in on where we, we hear about, we get a listen in to a prayer that Jesus prays to God the Father. He's talking to God the Father about their relationship and the relationship his followers have one, with one another. And he prays and he says, uh, to the Heavenly Father that he wants his, his followers to be in unity and love with one another in the same way that he and the Father love one another. And he prays that as they do that, would the world and those around his followers begin to identify him, to know him, to trust him, to come to him. And would this be a blessing for both his followers and those who would come to know him through his followers? The expression of God's love is not just something that gives us this wonderful feeling, but it's something that gives a great purpose. I think this is something that we need to consider adopting more of as we walk in following out Jesus over this next year. We know as we look back over the past year, and even longer than that, but we have become an increasingly divided people, whether that's inside the church or outside the church. We divide on all sorts of lines. But that where we're not supposed to be divided, we're supposed to find unity and love. Even in spite of some of the diversity, we're supposed to love those who are part of God's family. And we're supposed to allow that love to, to not just permeate the church itself, but to, to flow out so that people from outside of the church would look in and be amazed. And would they see God through that? So the question I would ask you is this year, is there a place where you need to love others who follow Jesus as an expression of God's love? And finally, then, in the midst of this, we have the obedient son, the loving father, but in the middle, we have the Holy Spirit descend and settle upon Jesus. The presence of the Holy Spirit does a couple of things. First, it affirms that this is God's chosen one. This is where God chooses to rest his presence while Jesus is on earth. So the Holy Spirit confirms Jesus' identity, but he also does something else. He empowers Jesus' ministry. If you read through the Gospels, whenever you see Jesus do something, whether it's 
uh, pr- uh, praying for the casting out of demons or, or praying for healing or healing somebody or whether it's when he teaches with authority so people will follow him. We always see that it tells us that the spirit, that Jesus was doing things under the power of the Spirit. You can see it time and time again. And as we look through the Gospels, we, we quickly realize that what Jesus did was ministry out of the empowerment and presence of the Spirit. And I think that's really good news. I think of a lot of us sometimes look to Jesus as this impossible standard. And in some ways he is. I mean, we will never be perfect. All of us will sin. We'll all fall short of God's standard. None of us will ever live perfectly in sync and in tune with with what God is saying to us at every moment. But what we do have is the presence of the Spirit. And the Spirit can speak to us and empower us and fill us and guide us just in the same way that Jesus did. Some people sit and they think about Jesus and they go, well, he's fully God, but Scripture tells us that Jesus actually chose not to live out of his own power of divinity, but to to leave that sort of on the back burner and live following after the Spirit. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, we read, He, which is Jesus, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made into human likeness. So it's then not his own power that he lives out of, but that spirit, like I'm talking about. And, and, the, and, and we see up until this point here, if you look at the life of Jesus in any of the Gospels, you see he doesn't do anything particularly miraculous. But right from this moment, and as we'll talk about next week, he goes out from the power of the Spirit, with the power of the Spirit, and he does this incredible ministry work. He starts to, to, to first go out into the wilderness and and, and battle and defeat temptation. Then he goes and he calls disciples, people who would otherwise reject him, and they come to him because of the presence of his spirit. Then he goes and he begins to teach, and he begins to heal, and he begins to, to cast out demons, and he does all of these incredibly powerful things through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes we can sit there and go, wow, wow, that, that's just something I can't possibly imagine, and I don't think I would ever be able to experience But Jesus challenges us on that. In John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, and he will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus says, one day I'm going to depart from here, and when I go, those who have faith in me will be brought the Holy Spirit, my Spirit, who will then fill them up and empower them to do these same kind of things I have done and even greater things still. I mean, that should be such an encouragement for us as we, we live the Christian life, as we look at this next year and wonder, what's ahead of us? How can we possibly live out our faith? Well, well, that very same Spirit who rested upon Jesus, who filled him, who empowered him, didn't just land on us and give us a little badge that says, yes, this person's a Christian. No, that Spirit came and lived within us to empower us to live in the same way Jesus lived on earth. It breaks my heart that we live our Christian lives in such a dry and dull way, where, where we've settled for basically nothing spiritual where we say you know what this is sort of the bar I can reach and and that's as far as I can reach because I know that's my my talent my time my resources but there all the while you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you saying I want to lead you and guide you I will empower the things that I want to accomplish in the world if only you will listen to me and rely on me 
we have the ability, just like Jesus, to be faithful and obedient sons and daughters. We are filled with the love of the Father continually and we are filled with his spirit and we have the opportunity to allow that to empower us for a life of ministry. My prayer as a church is that we would begin to embody these characteristics of God in an even bigger way. We're followers of Jesus and and we should be pressing passionately towards these characteristics that we would become more and more like him, that we would push through when it's difficult to love someone, to keep loving them out of the empowerment of the Spirit, that when there's something that scares us or there's something God calls us to that we're not sure if we can fulfill it, that we will lean into it obediently anyways, knowing that God is with us. And would, as we do that, we experience more and more of God's love and his presence, but not just for ourselves, but for our community I mean, we live in a growing city that continues to grow with more and more people who don't know Jesus. Would we be able to to be obedient and to love and to serve from the power of the Spirit so other people could come to know Jesus and could experience him? And would God get all the glory for that? So now as, as, as we move on in worship to a time of prayer and to a time of singing, would you, wherever you are, just take a moment and rest. Rest with the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit, where do I need to obey you? God, where do I need to learn to love like you? Where Do I need to embrace the fact that you have filled me and you want to empower me? And then as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, would we rally around whatever he gives to us and would we lead out of that? Would we lean into it and chase after what God wants all through the rest of the year and would we see God be brought the glory? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that even in five verses, you can reveal so much to us of yourself. Jesus, I thank you for your obedience, the fact that you came to live for us, to identify with us, to take on our sin, to die for us, to rise for us, Lord God, that we would have a relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you show your mercy and your love, that you choose us to be your people, to be adopted into your family when we are so far from deserving it. We thank you that you exist as love within yourself to be an example for for how we can live for what you call us to. And God, I pray that as we love one another, would we give even just a taste of what it looks like for, for how You, Heavenly Father, love your Son. Holy Spirit, would we embrace the fact that just as you settled on and empowered Jesus' ministry, Lord God, that you live within us. Holy Spirit, would we not just take that for granted and think, oh, the Holy Spirit's just for this little bit over here or that little bit over there, but Holy Spirit, would we allow you to just permeate through every part of our life? Would we lean into following after you and and the empowerment that comes from you in those moments and would we see you do incredible things in and through us? 
God, we don't know fully what the rest of this year will bring, but we know that you have a great plan that you want to accomplish. We know that you want to bring more and more people into your family. We know that you want to see broken relationships restored to places of love. God, we know that you want more and more people following you. And God, so we ask you to help us do so passionately. Help us see those opportunities clearly. And Lord God, would we step out into them boldly. And so God, now as we turn to you and worship through song, would we be able to declare how good you are and would you continue to speak to us as we, as we sing to you. Reveal to us where we need to go so that you can experience the glory that you deserve. We pray this, Jesus, in, the, in your powerful name. Amen.